is the Stagger Podcast. Welcome into the Stagger Podcast. I'm JD Smith. He is Derek Smith. How the hell are you, brother? How you doing, man? Man, I'm sipping a Perrier, just like a what? Uh, Jean Girard. Perrier. Perrier. Is it Perrier or Perrier? Jean you get on to me all the time when I say Le Mans, and you're like, it's Le Mans. And then you said Perrier. Perrier. Perrier, Perrier, isn't it? Isn't it Perrier? Whatever. Perrier. Perrier. Jean Giraud. Talladega Knights. This is what I got right here. I'm Ricky Bobby, and you're Jean-Luc What do I do with my hands? That's right. Uh, It's it's radio. You can't see this. Exactly right. All right. So we got a big uh, episode today. We we had the privilege earlier this week of speaking with Starcom driver, double zero, driving in the Cup Series, his uh, Chevrolet. That would be none other than Quinn Half. He's got the 8-Ball Chocolate Whiskey sponsorship on that car. Uh, we had a fun interview here, man. We talked to Quinn about a lot of things. We talked to him about his rookie season. We did talk about that incident at Texas. We talked about what it's like going to a Cup Series race, and in some cases, the first time you hit full speed in the car on the track is the green flag lap, the first lap of the race, because they had no practice, no qualifying last year in his rookie year. So we talk about all that. His history growing up in Virginia. What else? Oh, oh, the fact that he was 18 years old saying, I'm going to try to uh, solidify my NASCAR license. Let's just choose Bristol. Yeah. As the track that I'm going to do that at. <laughs> and I will say this, too. We actually we got some really good insight on the question that a lot of times comes up with guys like him who run in kind of, you know, they're running on smaller teams, lower budget teams in the back. Why don't you take some of your sponsorship money or whatever and go run, you know, in the Xfinity series and the truck series, get your experience that way. He had a really interesting answer to that question too. So it's about 30 minutes. I think it's worth your time. Uh, without further ado, here you go. Starcom racing, eight ball chocolate whiskey, Quinn Half from the NASCAR cup series right here on the stagger podcast. Quinn, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. It's gotta be a nice relief for you going to Phoenix this week, because that's one of the tracks last year that you actually got to see twice. And in a year where there wasn't a lot of practice, there wasn't a lot of qualifying, I would guess you've got quite a few laps there. How are you feeling about uh, going back to Phoenix and, and a track where now you've been able to get a lot of experience last year? Yeah, you know, Phoenix was actually the track that I debuted in the Cup Series with in 2019 when I ran part-time. Um, and like you said, it's a track that we've gone through twice twice in a year and the track that we get to to crown a champion now so there's a lot of great things that happen out there at phoenix and i love the area and you know i'm from a short track background so you know it's kind of natural to me i feel like when we go to these short tracks you try to find that rhythm that i grew up doing but uh obviously these cup cars are pretty different and to put pj1 down in these places makes it a little different as well whether (laughs) whether you can go up there and run that or whether you can't so um yeah I'm, i'm excited to get to uh get to a short track here and, and see what our program's like for that heading into the rest of the season. Well, that's what I don't know if a lot of people are aware of with you guys last year. It was your rookie season as far as a full-time campaign. You had run in previous races, like you said, uh, but there were there had to be tracks, I'm guessing a decent number of them, where your first lap at full speed in a cup car on that track was when they dropped the green flag. I mean... That because of no practice and no qualifying, like how difficult did that make it during your first season where you're trying to gain experience, trying to learn these tracks, and yet you got to do it with all eyes watching right as as soon as they drop a green flag? 
Yeah, you know, that was uh it was definitely a challenge last year, uh to have your first full time rookie season and like you said, there were many tracks that I hadn't seen before and some tracks that they that are, that they say are pretty difficult. Uh like Darlington was one of them, uh Indianapolis was another one of them and uh the list goes on. So uh losing that practice and qualifying time was definitely tough, but luckily I have a good partner with some seats and, and I did all the uh eye racing I could during the pandemic and then leading up to each of these races just to get as visually comfortable and acclimated to these racetracks as I could. But uh, when you're lining up against the 40 best, you know, stock car drivers in the world and you got to learn under green flag conditions, things happen pretty fast. You, you were able to have some sim uh, seat time as far as that goes. How much does that value, like without sim racing, how much harder would have last year have been and how much did sim racing help you throughout the year? And then uh, just maybe give us an example of how many hours you spent in the seat going to certain tracks. Yeah, you know, um, before before last year, I was never really a iRacing or simulator guy, um, mm. and I had become a partner with Sim Seats at the beginning of 2020, and and they, you know, they got me hooked up with a rig that actually got delivered. I swear to you, at the most perfect time, which was like a week after the <laughs> pandemic stopped everything, and so I had plenty of time to. Uh, I had plenty of time to learn how to use it. It's uh, it's definitely different in its own ways, but it's also a very useful tool if you know how to use it right. And luckily, I've met a lot of great people on there, and I actually raced around with uh, the guy that designs all of our race cars, Ryan Daly, and, and one of my nice. buddies that's become buddies with me is Aaron, and, and he does a lot to help me just learn what I can on that and uh, be realistic with it because – it's very useful, but at the same time, it's very easy to cross the line that I feel like in order to be fast on yeah. iRacing, you can become unrealistic. So, you know, right. if I want to get on there and race and have fun, I can do that. But if I'm getting on there to prepare for a race, I have to be realistic. I definitely spent, you know, at least an hour to two hours a day, probably through the pandemic. And then and once we started going racing or when, once we knew we were going back to Darlington, I probably ran like a thousand miles at Darlington before we went there. I just ran it as much as I could because let's say that was such a hard, you know, it's a hard track to learn. You're right against the fence and I just needed to get as visually comfortable with that as I could. When, when you hop on iRacing, are you going into the general lobbies? Did you ever just hop in on like a Tuesday night at 11 o'clock and Joe? Well, that's, Joe's yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Do you, racing. do you go in and do, do you put in there like Quinn Howe or are you just like racer dude, Virginia guy? Like, <laughs> do you have a, do you have a <laughs> alias or do you just go in and be like, yeah, hey, what's up? It's NASCAR driver Quinn Howe. How you doing? Yeah, it's, uh, I didn't really think about that part of it when since he just created the account for me that the people, you know, when I recently would probably recognize me because, you know, I'm, I'm generally just, uh, a little bit smaller of a guy as far as the NASCAR Cup garage goes and don't get noticed a lot. But when you get on iRacing, people notice you for sure. And uh, <laughs> I do get on, I do get on a race. I mean, I when I practice, obviously I practice in private lobbies and stuff. But I like to get on there and race anything. You know, we got yes. heck, we got a dirt race coming up. So I'm running yeah. any dirt. I'm running any dirt races I can. Just to, you know, whether it's a sprint car or a late model or UMP nice. modified. I'm just running everything I can just to get used to the dirt world of kind of like what, you, you know, what, what you got to look for as a driver. And, uh, so I do that. And last week I jumped on and ran a couple A class races at Vegas just to run races go. at Vegas. So 
uh, one thing I learned is people in our racing take things really seriously. And, <laughs> and sometimes, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, and sometimes I get on there just to have fun, and uh, other people don't see it that way. So yeah, you find the ones that like that. They find the ones that like the fact that they're racing with you, and you find the ones that just want to bad mouth you at the same time. And it's the delirious racing fan that we all love, and we sometimes are. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely a interesting world in iRacing for sure. Any funny stories that you can, like you don't have to rat out anybody, but anything that's that you can that made you laugh out loud while while driving in a race that you want to share with us, or any kind of funny stories from iRacing? Yeah, you know, I I, I uh, unfortunately do a bunch of stupid stuff on iRacing, which sometimes. <laughs> but uh, the most recent one was uh, I I raced on there with Brennan Poole, who drove in the 15 car last year. We've become yeah. friends and we get on there and run together, and we've been learning dirt through this off season and he's really good at the legends on dirt so he asked me to go run those with him and we were running uh i think he was running first and i was running third but i was trying to pass for second and like you said it's it's i was being realistic with it but a guy i was leaning on a guy in a way that you know in real life hey if you're gonna block me i'm gonna push you off into the corner and you're gonna have to hold on to it well he didn't hold on to it <laughs> he spun out he spun out and i spun out trying to miss him and then i felt bad because you know i just wrecked a guy that might be just like 12 years old or something i don't know <laughs> and then uh now i'm running back around and running fourth and i i catch back up to third and i'm trying to pass third and this guy's blocking me and i did the same thing and then he spun out and i spun out missing him and then when i spun out missing him brendan was coming around and told me to stay and i tried to get out of the way and then i hit him so i, t- I literally hit everybody i think in the field <laughs> well did you, point, hit, did you hit the pace car <laughs> that's the comment from one of the guys in the field was he <laughs> that i had hit everything <laughs> but the pace car yeah, so. that's well the, the good <laughs> news is half of those accounts those are just ryan newman out there practicing blocking and making sure no one can get around him so you're all good it's <laughs> <laughs> toughest guy to pass in the on the track as they always say um so yeah man well i i wanted to talk a little bit about your career growing up because i know people are obviously aware you're up there now you got the uh eight ball chocolate whiskey sponsorship which i think that car looks sick i really enjoy yeah. that paint scheme and we, we love paint schemes and all that stuff and we will definitely talk about that but one thing i wanted to bring up was so you started racing go-karts when you were eight years old coming out of virginia you end up at South Boston Speedway, which is, of course, a legendary track. I mean, tell people what the lore of that track is for those who have never been there and, you know, never gone to see a race there. What's that mean for, like, late model stock car racing uh, in that part of the country? Yeah, you know, Virginia and North Carolina is kind of late model stock car mecca, if you will. And mm. there's so many tracks around here that, that have so much history and and. And South Boston is definitely one of them. I mean, South Boston is one that the Sadler brothers grew up racing through. Uh, the Burton brothers came up racing through. Uh, you had guys like Denny Hamlin going through there when they were coming up through the late model divisions. And, I mean, the, the list goes on. And the competition level is just through the roof. There's so many different – there's bat, there's veterans to, you know, green rookie drivers like me at 15 years old. And uh, it's a very vast field, and, and it's interesting to watch. But, um, you know, I, I, I was in a full-size stock car by the age of 14, and at the time, NASCAR sanctioned the age was 15. 
So I had to run at non-NASCAR sanctioned tracks like uh, Orange County Speedway down in Ridgemont, North Carolina, which that track has a lot of history down there as well. It used to be part of the, the touring series schedule, actually, and uh, my wife's actually family is from down there, and her great her granddad raced there and her dad raced there. Um, and then we got to 15, and we were able to go run NASCAR sanctioned late mile racing and went to South Boston Motor Mile about every weekend. We were running nice. about 30, 30 races a weekend, just getting, you know, as many as many laps as I could as a young driver. And I was learning so much so fast. And, and, you know, sometimes it was hard because, like I said, you're out there with guys that have done it since before you were born. And, and uh, they could be rough on you. And uh, But, you know, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And I got the opportunity yeah. to run uh, a super late model at 18, and that's kind of where you know, everything I learned in late miles stocks kind of helped me into super late miles. I had a lighter car and more power and more braking. And I had good success in those, which led to uh, the opportunity to go, oddly enough, from short track racing straight to Daytona International Speedway in ARCA car. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big adjustment right there, yeah. I would guess. I mean, yeah, I know I know. In, in some of the things I've seen, too, I know you had a deal in Xfinity when you ran a few races there where you ran with JD Motorsports. Tell me if this is true. I read something that said that you were putting together the deal to get into JD Motorsports for like a, I don't know, a multi-race type of deal, but that it came together on the day of the race at Kansas. And so you were like on that day finalizing the deal and then getting in the car and running your first race of the deal that day is that accurate no actually my uh first race with johnny davis was uh when when ross chastain got the opportunity to drive the 42 xfinity car for ganassi at richmond i, I was the driver that got the opportunity to fill in for him and that's kind of where the the relationship with johnny davis started and and that led to one more start while ross was driving the 42 that year and then the next season, that's when I started driving the 15 for Johnny Davis for a handful of races. But I debuted in Xfinity with a part-time team uh, at the time called Precision Performance Motorsports. Uh, and we went out there and debuted in Xfinity at age, I was age 18 at Bristol. And people told me I was crazy because at that point, you know, I'm under I'm under a microscope by NASCAR to get my license approval up for to run bigger track sizes. Um, and there, and we were debuting at Bristol and people, you know, obviously seeing Bristol is one of the most toughest and roughest tracks as far as racing style goes. And I found myself in the top 10 on a green white checkered at the end. And it was one of those moments where you're <laughs> looking around and you see Elliot Sadler and Austin Dillon and those kind of guys around you and you're like, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah that's 18 be at surreal. Bristol, like. A lot of 18-year-olds do some crazy things, but I don't think – I think you may be the one of the only 18-year-olds in America that said, hey, I'm going to run Bristol and uh, see if I can try my hand to get my NASCAR license a little more uh, cemented there. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah um, well, I was going to ask, too, you mentioned Ross Chastain. Guys like him, you know, they've, they've run for uh, cup teams that maybe are not, you know, the top-tier teams, you know, to start. Alex Bowman's another guy who spent a lot of years doing that. Uh, they're now in, in bigger, better rides. I mean, do you do you take some inspiration from guys like that? I mean, I know your career path is obviously starting out here in Cup Series, but those guys took at least somewhat of a, a similar path where they ran a bunch of Cup races before they got you know into 
the the bigger teams and things like that. How do you how do you look at those guys? Is that somewhat inspirational for you? Yeah, you know, it's uh it is definitely inspirational, especially for the fact that Ross Chastain is someone that I became good friends with. We uh actually ran over at Premium Motorsports together for that year that I ran about sixteen, seventeen races, so I became close with him and you know, he he has a lot of knowledge. He's been doing it a long time. He's run a lot of races in Xfinity for, you know, multiple teams, the majority being Johnny Davis and and then having this opportunity with Ganassi is just kind of one of those stories that you look at and you say, hey, you know, the dream is still possible, that there's still hope that the drivers that are there grinding it out could, could get that opportunity to step up into a good ride. And when you do, you got to be ready. And Ross, you know, took that opportunity and did a great job with it. So uh, it's definitely, definitely kind of a hope leaves that hope there that what you're doing can lead to better things. Cause always as a driver, you always want to be more competitive. You always want to be in uh, faster cars, but at the same time, I'm very humbled to be in the cup series at all. This is a opportunity that, you know, thousands of drivers never, never get to have the opportunity to do. So I'm just enjoying the moment as much as I can and trying to take the uh, best opportunity of, of every time I get behind the wheel. And speaking of that opportunity, so you landed at Starcom Racing last year, and uh, tell us how you met Derek Cope, how you decided to go with their organization, and you know some drivers take the path of having um, you know maybe what Ryan Priest did, where he spent six or eight races at Gibbs um, as opposed to a full season with JD Motorsports. Uh, you decided to go with the full season at Cup level and get the experience behind the wheel and and grow your your career from that point of your racing with the best of every week. What led to you uh, deciding to join Starcom? I'll start with the meeting part. The reason I feel like that we we met with Derek and, and Starcom Racing was for the fact that I was in the Cup Garage for half the season in 2019, yeah. and that yeah. that put me on the scene in the Cup Garage, and that put you know was those people were able to see what I could do on the track, even at a very um, you know green green stage as far as racing in the cup cars and that's that's kind of what led to being able to have discussions with them and and for matt and mike kohler the owners out of new jersey uh to take opportunity with their young program you know heading into their only third or fourth season at the time and and tap a green rookie driver like myself to help continue to move their program forward was a uh, was a confidence booster for me that just showed that somebody saw me and, and believed in me and, and, and believed in the vision of the dream I had. So that was very refreshing as a driver to be that guy for a program, you know, on a single car team and, uh, something that I've enjoyed doing, you know, enjoy being with a team that's new to the sport, that's continuing to look to grow and, and to make their name, you know, a better staple in the cup garage. And, and the, the cool thing about it is all of us are just race fans. You know, I grew up, as a race fan watching races on Sunday with my dad going to the short tracks near, near home in Virginia. And the same thing with the, the Kohler brothers, they were just race fans and, uh, and just wanted to be more involved in the sport. I think that's refreshing to see for NASCAR, uh, teams like that open up and come into this, into the cup series and you see more teams coming in this year. So, uh, I think that's something that's very exciting for sure. Um, yeah, but as far as, you know, what drivers do to get their experience level or to get to the ultimate goal they want to get to, it's our sport is interesting because drivers can do so many different ways. There's not as necessarily 
certain ladder system that you have to go through, like maybe some other sports have. And you brought up Ryan Priest is taking, you know, all of his budget instead of running a full-time season of Johnny Davis running, um, you know, the six or eight races with Joe Gibbs and Xfinity. Well, obviously I get a lot of scrutiny for, for how fast they came up through the ranks and into the cup series. And that's something that, you know, as a driver, I had, you know, X amount of sponsorship dollars to run. And my goal was always to put myself in the best position with the best opportunities to uh, be in the cup series and, and to get the best exposure for myself and for my sponsors. And uh, that's kind of the attitude I took towards it. And I felt like every time I got an opportunity to step up and, and go race, I felt like I took, took the opportunity and proved that I could do so. Um, but, you know, that's just the, the differences between drivers is how they get there and, and, and how long they want to stay there. So, yeah, um, I think that's interesting because I think that's the part that some people miss is that, yeah, you, you do have to learn. There's experience. There's things like that. And you put in a lot of experience prior to even coming onto the national scene. I don't think that's wrong to say, well, I'd like to I'd like to go right to the Cup Series and establish myself, even if maybe right off the bat. I'm not going to be running for a championship. Is that kind of the logic? So when people say like, well, why don't you go run truck series? Why don't you just go run Xfinity series? Like, is that kind of the logic you apply is that why not run cup? I've got the opportunity to, I'd like to learn there. Exactly. I mean, uh, the simplest way to put it is, you know, I have a cup opportunity. Would you take it if you had a cup opportunity? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah, Yeah, man. it's something that, you know, a lot of drivers, even even when they get to the truck series or Xfinity level, don't ever see the opportunity to do that. And I've seen too many drivers and too much talent not be able to come up to this level because of the way, you know, whether the way they came up and they, they busted all their sponsorship money up before they got there or whether they just didn't have the sponsorship money to get there and, and they're very talented and it's upsetting to see some of these drivers not ever get that opportunity. So, you know, yeah. Why, what, what reasons should I spend, you know, all my sponsorship money, um, in a lower series level when I have opportunities to bring that sponsorship level to the cup series, you know, you never know when these sponsorship dollars are going to fall out. You see that on any team from Starcom Racing to Hendrick Motorsports, it's, it's not easy. It takes a lot of money to make these race cars go around the track. So you just got to make yeah. the best, you know, you got to make the best of every opportunity you have while you have it. Absolutely. And looking at last year, I mean, you finished 13th at Talladega. That's something that someone who would have taken a, a 25 race deal in trucks would have not had the opportunity to do at the cup level. So that's the thing is that I think you're on the right path. And does that make you, you had some adversity last year that you dealt with. Does that make you feel vindicated with having some decent finishes, learning a lot, and then basically going out there and being one of the very few drivers in the cup field that didn't have the chance to ever practice at these tracks, you're showing up, dropping the green flag and you're going. Um, how does that make you like kind of feel like made the right decision and, and kind of feel vindicated just being able to have some good finishes last year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just nice to after everything myself and the team were put through through the COVID season and everything like that. It was very very vindicating to have some of those finishes to finish, you know, inside the top fifteen there at Talladega and and have some really good strong runs at the mile and a half so at the end of the year as well. But you know, it's a very tough time for me for for a driver like me. I feel like as well because you know you know with the experience level I have and the position I'm put in that. 
things, even when when are good and realistic expectations to me and the race team don't ever necessarily look good to the average person. Um, they're not really, they don't really understand the races within the race, if you will, each and every week. Um, so sometimes that's tough as a driver when you're in a position to where you don't feel like, you know, if some things look as good as they should to people when you feel like you're out there outperforming every week, you know, every week or, or what you feel like you should be performing as. And, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into this and, and, and it's very tough sometimes to, to not feel as, as vindicated as somebody that you would see, you know, have a breakout win or anything like that. But, um, that's just part of it. It's part of the learning curve. And like I said, it's just, it's just an honor to be here. And, and I look to continue to prove that my worst to stay in the cup garage as well. Uh, what heading into 2022, uh, there's a lot of unknowns for me and, and I would love to be one of the drivers that's in the seat of a next gen car as well to, uh, make that move with NASCAR. One, yeah. One other question I have for you. And obviously, you know, it's a question I'm sure you've been asked a million times. The incident at Texas last year, Ran into Christopher Bell, Matt Benedetto, trying to get to pit road. I know there were extenuating circumstances. You had a mirror fall off. You just had like a confluence of bad issues all at once that kind of led to that. But I something I've not heard you address is I heard that NASCAR, you know, after that race was like, we're going to, you know, have a chat with that driver and we're going to talk to him about that. And what I don't know is I just, what does that do when you're a young driver, you've been through all this crap, you, <laughs> you kind of start to find your way a little bit. And then, bam, something like that happens. And now you got to go sit and talk to NASCAR. How the next week, I think you guys went to Kansas after that. How, like mentally, I'm always curious how high performance athletes, drivers, like how do you mentally shake that off and then go as like literally as fast as you possibly can in the car the next week when you, you had an incident that I'm sure shook you up, shook a lot of people up. And then you got people, big names in the sport, criticizing you. Like, how, how do you shake that off, put the helmet on, strap in, and then go literally to the edge of the performance level of the car the next week? How did you mentally get there? Yeah, you know, it was a very, it was a very tough time in my career. Um, obviously, going in I, as a rookie, I knew that mistakes were going to be made. Uh, obviously, that's a mistake that should have never been made. And I was, you know, I felt like I was pretty respectful and pretty upfront that that was a bonehead mistake and that that was something that shouldn't happen regardless of regardless of all the components that went wrong for that to happen to me. I'm, at the end of the day, I'm still the one with the wheel and the pedals, you know, and I'm under my feet and in my hands and I have to make the right decisions. And I was put in the perfect storm to fail and I failed. And uh, we went back and, I mean, I jumped out of the car and owned up to it right away and, you know, publicly owned up to it right away. And I know I wasn't the first one to make, uh, you know, a rookie mistake like that. And I know I'm not going to be the last one. Uh, I've seen plenty of other guys make mistakes. We're out here for 38 weeks of the year and going as fast as we can, uh, you know, inches away from each other. So yeah. you know, eventually mistakes are going to be made. And uh, I just knew that because of the way my career has gone and the way, you know, the rate that I've gotten to the cup series level, there was a lot of critics and a lot of people waiting for me, just waiting for me to mess up so they could scrutinize it. Um, you know, and, and after that, I made a point to own up to it, uh, you know, be, be the bigger guy about it and just try to take a negative situation and make something positive out of it. And obviously people on social media and other drivers with their comments didn't see it that way. Um, but however, I believe after that, 
uh, I didn't have a mistake the rest of the year, and there were plenty yeah. of cautions after that. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, really, that's true. I don't really seek to to go out there and point out other people's mistakes, yeah. you know. But uh, that was definitely a time that I felt disrespected for sure, and I just put my head down and went to work. Obviously, we came together as a team, and we stayed believing in each other, and we we figured out how to not allow you know communication problems like that to happen again, and actually started to go out there and perform really well prove ourselves yeah. like, well that's so. what I, that's what i was getting to is because i i noticed that you didn't have any incidents after that and it's something where like i said to get back the next week that's the only way you improve as a driver or as a human in life you know mistakes are going to happen no matter what you're doing i just know like i've worked new i've been a you know a new at a place you know at a job i've had screw-ups and like i've felt like garbage after it you know but then I went to my job the next day and you just kind of put your head down and go to it. You, I wasn't on national TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that's why I was curious just how that is to 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 come back from that. And, and you did. I mean, you, that's the part of the story that doesn't seem to get always talked about is, yeah, there was a screw up. It wasn't all your fault. But also you got back to work. And I think that's the most important thing. So I'm hoping that this year we'll have some other things to talk about. I know you're yeah. probably sick of answering that question, but I appreciate you at least addressing it. Yeah, that's what I say every time I get asked. I'm like, I hope I do something soon to where I can stop <laughs> Well, let's, let's almost break into the top 10 at Talladega, but we're still talking about pitting from the top lane. You know, we've, we've seen those mistakes before. And by the way, to your point, no, I don't recall a lot of people saying Christopher Bell should get relegated this year for kind of causing a, giant pile up like 20 laps into the Daytona 500. I mean, to, to the point, he's a great driver. Mistakes happen. He's a young driver too. So drivers learn. Unfortunately, you're learning on a big stage where everybody's watching and that's difficult. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a big spotlight that the cup series is in and, and, and you're out here 38 weeks out of the year and, and we're all human mistakes are definitely going to be made. It's just, it's just crazy. It's a crazy world and a rude awakening when when you're that guy for that week because NASCAR's fans are pretty crazy. If you look, every week, <laughs> every week there's a scapegoat at some at some way. Oh, yeah. Everybody's gonna yeah. just let it let have it for the whole week. I saw Chase Elliott skirted by in that he was like right behind those two guys, and I thought, man, as bad as it was for you, if it was Chase that ended up getting taken out, you'd probably even been <laughs> ten times worse with all the criticism just because you got you know. The more fans there are, the more criticism there is. But, you know, the good yeah, news is, like how, you said, you kept going through it. So, yeah. But how about this? I mean, just this weekend, we uh, I almost was getting ready to be collected in an event of Alex Bowman trying to get to pit road. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, we saw that. That yeah. Alex Bowman thing was out of it. I mean, and poor Fast Pasta was almost he had to get some dude wipes. That guy was. I, don't know. <laughs> I, was, I was uh, I was right behind Oh. Alfredo, when that happened, I was oh. like, oh. So, wait, and aren't you in the white fire suit nowadays? Like, does that ever give you some anxiety, too? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's taking your life in your own hands there. That's yeah. absolutely right. One of the last thing I want to ask you, because I, I, since you we brought it up earlier, talking about Bristol Dirt, man, what are your thoughts on what that's going to be like? I know it's not something as much of your background. Have you, I don't know. Have you ever actually raced on dirt? Is this going to be kind of when you guys do the qualifying and stuff is that going to be practice and all that your first time out in a in a big heavy car doing dirt racing yep uh that has never happened in my career <laughs> I, ran, <laughs> I ran my first laps on dirt and uh virtually at bristol last night and i hope to god that it's accurate because that's about all i got to go off of so, uh, 
I've been kind of prodding around up here in Virginia. Like, hey, has anybody got a dirt car they'd like me? You know, hey. let me throw around for a couple laps. But hey, come no, to I'm, come to Ohio. We, we got plenty racers. of dirt. We got plenty of dirt tracks and plenty of guys who probably let you get in one for sure. Cause, yeah, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's you know, at the same time, I'm like, well, how realistic or how acclimated could I get in a real dirt car compared to an asphalt car? Well, right, yeah, because it's not even yeah. the same thing. Dirt, those cars be- are made to go around the dirt, not your guys' cars are getting kind of, you know, rigged up to do it for a week, and then that's it, so. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, we, we it's really hard to to get a feel for how, how this is going to feel throwing a 3,400-pound stock car sideways in a corner that's meant to stay on asphalt, so it'll be a... Uh, it's definitely a, a race that's got a lot of buzz around it. You know, I'm put like I said, I'm putting in as much sim time and anything dirt as I can. Like I said, if any little bit I can get with, what does this wheel input do? What does this gas input do? You know, how does yeah. it react on dirt? Um, and and I've done that a long time, you know, through this off season. And now that dirt uh, Bristol is on iRacing last night. All those things just applied just to learn how to do the cup car on dirt on our racing as well. So nice. I'm, hope, I'm hopeful all those tools really come out well. But I'm gonna be honest with y'all. I think a big part of Bristol Dirt is just gonna be one of the to be one of the cars rolling around uh, at the end of the race. <laughs> uh, man, I'll tell you what. If 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 there's anything we've learned from our years of watching dirt track racing, I'm sure you've seen it too. Guys who are running up on the high side are selling the t-shirts. Guy who are running low, keeping it straight. Those are the guys pay, are there. He gets the a end. paycheck. Well, yeah. right. I mean, you just you gotta you gotta stay you gotta stay in the race. So yeah, I, I think you know that's my dumb advice to an actual NASCAR driver. I'm sure you're looking forward to that. I'm sure you'll <laughs> write that down in your notebook of things. Hey man, uh, speaking of Bristol though, we love going to Bristol. We always love to get a little uh, staggered out in the parking lot. Hey, a little plug for the podcast. Tell me about Eight Ball Chocolate Whiskey because I want to give that a shot. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? And where, how'd you guys get hooked up with them? yeah it's that was funny you said stagger just because i was with the buddy last night we were taking i was letting him try out some eight ball whiskey and he's like you know i think you could apply any word for the to make the meaning i'm getting drunk like you know how people <laughs> say they're getting smashed he's like you a thing like i'm getting a lawnmower tonight or something <laughs> <laughs> Getting, yeah, you could. If you said that at a bar, like, man, I want to get absolutely chainsawed tonight. They're like, all right, yeah. I guess he wants to get drunk. I right, guess. Pour him some eight ball then, responsibly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, no, eight ball chocolate whiskey. You know, it's it's a uh, it's an awesome brand. I mean, who doesn't like the the look of the eight ball logo on there? It's really easy to see. It makes a great looking race car. And to to the way that this relationship started with Paul Thomas out of Southern California. And, and, and he's the CEO of 8-Ball. It's been almost one of those relationships that just seems like fate. Because here I am over in Virginia racing for a team out of North Carolina. And I got connected with a guy out in Southern California. And we met over the phone and just felt like we knew each other already. And and that's kind of that's kind of one of those relationships that you just... It's refreshing for me as a driver to, to be able to talk to someone like that and for him to know exactly what I'm talking about and he, for him to know exactly the vision and the and the dream that I have. Uh, he's a hard worker and a grinder just like myself, and he, he understands what I'm going through and just wanted to be a part of the process. And uh, that means a lot to me as a driver, and I know it means a lot to a team like Starcom to have a sponsor like that come on board and to to be able to bring a new brand and a new company into nascar is always really fun uh, and i know the fans like to see it and 
this car's got a lot of great feedback so far and and eight ball is selling as, as fast as it can make it and it's coming across the the u.s fast so hopefully we can get some eight ball to everybody uh soon and uh i'm looking forward to continuing to be a part of that family and, and help grow our brands together well man we appreciate you coming on and certainly best of luck the rest of the year we'll be uh we'll be watching we'll be rooting for you and yeah, be, I'm looking forward to watching on all the new tracks between Bristol and then Coda. I mean, good Lord, you could not have two different tracks and you got to figure that out all in about the span of a month and a half. So, man, good luck. That's a lot of fun to watch. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. There you go. That was our interview with Quinn Half, Brother Derek, what do you think? Oh, I was uh, thoroughly impressed. And just the fact that he's a genuine guy. A uh, guy that I could see myself having a beer with or having a shot of whiskey with, um, getting lawn mowered, yeah, <laughs> chainsawed, <laughs> chainsawed, you know, getting schnookered, uh, <laughs> responsibly, responsibly getting chainsawed, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But no, I mean, uh, he he's a guy that I've seen on the track. I think honestly, low key, Starcom has some of the best liveries or best wrap jobs in the in the garage paint, I think. paint schemes dare paint you call schemes. them sorry paint i schemes. know I'm, there's no paint on them anymore but yeah we switched right. from dirt to f1 to nascar to indycar sometimes i do i you know what though you bring up a good point that permatex blue and orange that he ran oh i, think, I love it yeah it's a, i think it's it's, a, it's like the probably the top three car last year on the on the it was a good looking car circuit. and the eight ball yeah. whiskey car looks cool too we need a die cast yeah. of it i'll put it up i'll put it up in my die cast collection for sure all yeah, right, uh, but it was great. It was a great interview. I enjoyed it. Um, learned yeah. a lot, and of course, uh, I'm definitely a fan. Like, well, that doesn't take gonna... much for you. If if anybody like at a racetrack who's a driver or a crew chief or like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, tire yeah, carrier, yeah. anybody is like, "Hey, Derek, you're like I'm a lifelong fan now. They're my favorite drivers." Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, <laughs> sure. Um, now we are but we are fans of his, I, and we am appreciate it. Am I on the website now? And am I going to purchase a hat? Yes, you bet. Hey, man, I already had a Starcom shirt. I have the one, the the Sterling Marlin throwback they did a few years ago with Landon Castle. So I've already been a Starcom fan. So and plus, we met their truck driver at Martinsville who looks like Chuck Norris. He's an awesome dude. Yes, that is true. Yeah. Charlie, Charlie Longenstein, our guy, one of the mechanics there. He's great. So, yeah, we're all in on Starcom. But Derek Cope, I was named after Derek Cope. No, you were I wasn't, stop. but, but we stop. saw our names differently. Just stop. Okay. Just stop. All right. That's <laughs> it for us this week. Enjoy Phoenix. We will be back with a recap of thank all you. the action this week on Monday. And thank you all to our new listeners. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on all the pad- podcast platforms, whatever you're listening on. Just hit subscribe. You'll get this podcast every week. Till next time, stay safe and stay staggered. And lawnmower.